Episode 79, Hot Shot Scott. Episode 79, Mitch Unfiltered, available on most podcast platforms. I now listen on Apple, I'll admit it. I got an iPhone, but you can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podcast Addict if you're an Android device user. We want you to subscribe. We want you to listen. And if you're on one of those platforms like Apple where you can rate and review us, that would be very, very nice. A five-star rating, and here's what I like about Mitch and Hotshot. Here's what I don't like about Hotshot. Wh- whatever it is that, that comes to your mind. It'd be nice to show, Mitch, that people can actually give a five-star review without <laughs> J-Ham, because you said you know only the good ones came when J-Ham was here. Well, so. it just seems like people have slowed down rating us and review. Not that they've given us bad numbers, that yeah. we just got a ton Out of, the gate. of rates and reviews really, really early, I guess, because people were pleased. And once they did it, they don't feel the need to do it again. I'm not asking people to go back and redo their <laughs> rating. But if you are a, a semi-new listener and you've never rated us, you've never reviewed us, do so on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform. We also do another full show. We do two full shows per week. We drop on Mondays and Thursdays. The Thursday show is for the patrons. If you'd like to have access to the second show each week, which is a full Mitch Unfiltered show with guests and all kinds of fun. And it drops on Thursdays each week. You become a patron for $5 a month at MitchUnfiltered.com. Coming up on 79, uh, Ryan Evans, former player for John Altabelli in Orange County. Do you know the name? I, I, I would imagine most people by now know the last name Altabelli, right? He was for, the, an, for the wrong reasons. We know it for the yeah. wrong reasons. He was a legendary baseball coach who was in the helicopter with Kobe That's and everybody right. else. That's yeah. right. And... And when you say a legendary baseball coach, I don't even think you even know the extent of it. I I, didn't know. I just read that in the Southern California area, he's beloved. He can credit 27 years of baseball coach. And we have focused so much on Kobe and so much on Kobe's daughter and some of the others that were on that that helicopter. I figured what's wrong with doing a segment about Alto? Love it. I'd like to hear from one of John Altabelli's former players on what he meant to people. I think you're going to be blown away when you hear the stories about this beloved 27-year uh, junior college coach manager who could have been a Division One college coach mm. but turned it down. He could have probably gone to the minor leagues and been a professional baseball coach, turned it down. All he's ever wanted was to have the impact on kids' life at the junior college level for 27 years. I think he won 700 games, like Jeez. five state titles, something like that. And we're going to hear from one of his former players, Ryan Evans, a very emotional interview. The name is Britt Giroli of The Athletics. She's a Major League Baseball writer. She was at the Astros Circuit. Oh, Did you follow that at all? It was like a, a, a lesson on on how to not handle a PR situation, right? <laughs> I mean, I I know you're going to talk to her about it, but I have to talk to you about it at some point. We will. Well. We'll, we'll do insanity. it. We'll do it in the other stuff segment. Okay. Uh, Dr. Patrick Risch, you wouldn't know that name, Washington University, St. Louis. He's also a Forbes magazine business writer. I'm curious whether the XFL has any chance. I announced to you that it felt different than the rest of the league. Yes, you did. Yes. And I watched like a little bit the other night of the Dragons' final two or three minutes victory at home for Jim Zorn. Yes. Brock Heward on the call. Fox on the call. They outlasted the team from Tampa, who was coached by Jerry Glanville, of all people. I didn't even know that he was still alive, Jerry Glanville. (laughs) I didn't either. Jerry Glanville. They dug him up and put him on the sidelines. Two tickets for Elvis in the stands. And I want to know... What's different about the XFL than the USFL or than the American Alliance of American? Yeah. All these different f- fledgling football leagues. None of them made it. None of them could make it financially. I want to because he wrote a Forbes magazine column that suggests optimism that says this might be the one. 
They have done all the right things, he says, and you'll hear from Dr. Patrick Rich while he thinks the XFL has a chance. And then Jeff Goodman on the crazy world of college basketball brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions. That's what episode 79. I do want to start episode 79 in our first segment with the week. A lot of our patrons heard me talk about it on the last one, 78P, but some of the others have not. It's been just a just an incredibly intense week, a very sad week in the Levy family. But before we even start 79, yes, I'm hearing rumors <laughs> yeah. about the team and the parents of the team that recruit players to the Issaquah 10-year-old girl squad. <laughs> well, it's funny you should say Are that. Are you a hero? Well, before I get to why I am a hero, yeah. somebody tweeted me and said, I met my daughter's games today here at Issaquah Middle School. Is this where the team that recruits plays? <laughs> Thank you for that, Mitch. You can say, yeah. <laughs> We were actually down the hill, the team that recruits. So my, I was waiting outside for my daughter after one of her games, and this little seven-year-old boy comes walking by. He's got a Pistons jersey on, and he's sobbing, absolutely sobbing. And it looked, it looked like different than if a kid fell down and scratched. It just looked like he was really upset. Like he lost his parents or something. That's exactly what it looked like. So I said, hey, are you okay? Oh, God. He turned around. He's just got tears pouring. He's like, I can't find my mom. Oh, my God. How old? Probably seven. Oh, God. So luckily, now my, my daughter could do this too at like five or six. Oh he, he memorized his mom's cell number. So I said, don't worry. We're, she's not leaving. We're going to find her, right? But he's bawling. I sit him down. Oh, my God. I call the mom. No answer. Of course. If you look, why don't people answer their well, phones? They're, they're at the arena. They're at the gym, yeah, of right? Of course they're at the gym, but she can't find him clearly because he's bawling like crazy. And she's going crazy. Yes. Uh, so I sent a couple I texts. don't know what's worse, the oh. the stress of being the kid or the stress of being the parents of looking down. Because I had, I'll tell you at some point, I, I had a, a similar episode. Well, I think everyone has as a parent, you right? you look down and the kid's not there. Right. And the, and the two seconds oh. or three seconds seems like an hour and 10 minutes it's right? like it, like you know like in a movie you, it's like it, things are spinning oh and god yeah and you think you're the world's worst parent but go ahead yeah what so i text a couple times nothing nothing and finally he goes there's my mom right there so luckily she was coming down the stairs and i went over yeah. and they embraced she's like i couldn't find you and but then she sent me a text said thank you so much worst feeling ever what, what did you do though i called and i told but, the kid it's you, gonna be okay he's you, just wandering around i'm yeah. a hero I like to call myself here. I'm just sitting there with you him. He didn't like, do a damn thing for God's sake. He sakes. was bawling. Like, he oh. was, like, really upset. Did you tell him a few jokes? I just said, we're going to find her. Don't worry. I got a phone. Oh, she's, well, not, well. she's not leaving without you. But we've all have had you those ha- moments, have right? Have you had that moment with Piper? Did you I'll, ever look down? I'll, I'll never. Knott's Ferry Farm. Oh, Max. God. Like, literally just starting walking, like, whatever. I don't know. When do they start walking? Two? two? Yeah. Like two and a half, three. And they really shouldn't be able to Knott's walk. Berry yeah. Farm. We're leaving Knott's Berry Farm. Oh, We're God. going through this little area, this little hut where you have to go through to get out, where you go through the, where you, I don't know, yeah, where, you buy, where you buy stuff to yeah. get to get out. Uh, I look down. I don't have Max. My wife says, you don't have him. I don't. Oh, and God. we're like. For like 30 seconds, probably maybe 20 seconds, we were without our two and a half year old movie mogul Max was lost for about 25 seconds that seemed like we were never going to find him again, that we had lost him and we were the world's worst parents. When did it happen for you? She was probably four. We're at a park. I said, don't leave. I'm walking her. I looked down at my phone. Oh, my God. Nowhere to be found. And all I pictured was a big tall guy with a beard and a trench coat carrying her to his van. That's all I could picture. Oh, God. And That's a I, terrible picture. Well, because she was gone so quickly. I'd picture somebody just oh, swooping her up. Uh, she went out to the woods on the outside of the park. There's some kids were out there. But it was like in oh, Jaws really? or something, you know, where it's like spinning or it zooms in. And it's I'll, I'll never forget all it. Right. So I, I wrote this lady back and said, we've all been there. It's cool. And okay, so I'm happy if, James if you're the okay. hero that you say that you are. <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> if, if, seven, if we don't like the names of 79 and there aren't great names of 79, 
It's episode Hotshot Scott. It, well, for your heroic it adventure. Should, it should have been over that the a long time ago for plenty of reasons. <laughs> but okay. All right. Four interviews. Ryan Evans, Britt Giroli, Dr. Patrick Risch, Jeff Goodman, episode 79. We'll do the first segment and the last segment, the other stuff segment as well. Hotshot episode 79 and all the rest of Mitch Unfiltered episodes. Just not possible without our great partners like Daniels Broiler. Happy 40th birthday to Daniels Broiler this year. And you are running out of time to celebrate with an amazing offer this month of February only a bottle of Veuve Clicquot, normally $145, 40 bucks with the purchase of one entree at the Leshy location only of Daniel's Broiler World-Class Steakhouses. The Kirkland office at Guild Mortgage, 425-250-3150, just to see if a refinance makes sense for you and your family. For the last many months, people all over the country have been reducing their monthly payments, and a refi with Jordan Flowers' team could make lots of sense for you and your family, both literally and figuratively. The Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Evergreen Golf Call. I love Tyler Hay and this premier wealth manager of the Northwest. Despite what I witnessed, a terrible-looking left-handed three-point shot the other day at the Bellevue Club, but that's a story for another day. With offices along the West Coast, the originator of Evervestment.com, a new program that caters to those of us that don't have the wealth of many of Evergreen's clients, Evergreen Golf Call, and Zeke's Pizza. More pizza, more sports, more craft beer, a true Northwest original. My family and I spent more evenings in 2019 at Zeke's Pizza and all their locations than ever before. Now with 17 great spots, Linwood to Tacoma, straight to your door. Download the Zeke's Pizza app. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Here comes episode 79, and it begins right now unfiltered i want to hear from justin verlander that's the one guy that i want to hear from in the houston you know you can jose altuve's and mike and, and george springer's and carlos correa's all that fine i want to hear from all american good guy justin verlander what did you know why didn't you do anything about it unfiltered i kind of like the fact that baseball was always the ball buster in terms of getting into the playoffs 162 games and for the longest time it was like you know it was like two teams then three teams and four teams you know and I liked it that it was really really hard even though my favorite team the Seattle Mariners never made it as a result of it I liked the fact that it was different from the NBA when a whole bunch of teams make and the NHL whole bunch of teams and even the NFL lots of teams make it there was something pure and traditional about baseball that it was tough you had to win like 95 games out of 162 over the course of the summer. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 79 begins officially. Episode Harvey Martin of the Dallas Cowboys of the 1970 yeah. defensive lineman. I remember, remember yeah, too tall. It was too tall. Jones and Harvey Martin. Jeff Coat was on that line, right? No, Jeff, Jeff Coat. Coat I was he later? Later. Yeah. Later. Okay. Yeah, we're talking. I think Roger Staubach days. Oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah, Drew Pearson Harvey. Harvey. Yeah, Drew Pearson was a wide receiver on that team. Yeah, okay. Harvey Martin was one of the defensive linemen. Too tall. Jones. Uh, episode uh, more recent Dallas Cowboy episode. Eric Williams. The offensive tackle, the Dallas Cowboys. Good, yeah. I don't know, 79. Rosie Brown wore 79 for the Giants in the 1950s. I don't know. No idea. Uh, episode Ed Cunningham. 
from the Huskies. Center who went on to an NFL career of the Huskies. Ed Cunningham wore number 79. Wait, I thought he went on to a broadcasting career. He but, did. And he lost like 150 he pounds. Did. Yeah. He did. He was on ABC for a while. And then the one that you're going to say yeah. you, you recognize. Episode Jacob Green, number 79. No? Was Red Bryant 79 as well? Yeah, I think so. But yeah. Yeah, but Jacob Green. And they were related, right? Father-in-law? Jacob. J- yes, he wore, that's right. I, that's right. I think Jake, Red Bryant wore 79 because his father, I think he was related through marriage to Jacob Green. That's right. I think it's his father-in-law. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah Jacob Green was a big part of my childhood, so I'll always love him. Lots or of episode sacks. Hot Shot Scott with what we found out in the T section. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to really think about uh, who it should be named after because I'm right up there with all those people you mentioned. Yeah. 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 So last we talked, you and I had been kind of a, a rough week or at least it was a rough day when I came over. So how was the week so been we were for just, you? Just for people's uh, awareness. We recorded 70, what would have been 78P on yeah. Wednesday, and that was the day that we lost our, our, our little Sadie, 16-year-old Havanese. After all those years, uh, we lost her. On, on, we had to say goodbye to her on Wednesday, and it was just a very, very emotional day. We recorded the podcast 78P anyway, and I'm, I'm sure the energy wasn't what it, what, what it needed to be or what it normally was, but I, I would just say that it was a... A much tougher week, and it's been a much tougher week than even I expected. I don't, I don't know why. Uh, I guess I never, even in her late days, never realized or never started to think about what life without our dog would be. And I've had two dogs in my life. Uh, the first was a Doberman. I told you about this on 78P. She died naturally on Ju- June 19th, 1985. I will never forget that day it's it's in my it's ingrained in my memory I was an 18 year old just graduated high school and I remember and 30 honestly 35 years later I think about her all the time uh, our Doberman yeah I mean that's and a big I, part of your life I mean big part of your childhood I talk about her to the boys the boys get tired of hearing me talk about her <laughs> yeah. and they almost feel like they knew her even though she was 100 years before they were born but I never and we talked about this on 78p I never had to make a decision like we had to make on Wednesday. And I know that you went through it. And that's, I think, the part of this that's really haunting. The last few days for all of us, especially my wife and I, have been filled with such heartache and second guessing and just wondering. I can't stop thinking about could we have done something different could we have helped her along in those last few months uh could we have done should we have have called you know called it quits on wednesday uh was it premature and and, you know and and i know that anybody probably on the outside who knew sadie like the the doctor or whatever would say okay she couldn't see she couldn't hear she couldn't sense anymore she had no quality of life you had to hand feed her you had to hand feed her you had to you know put her in diapers she couldn't get outside she could hardly walk i know that objectively speaking we probably did the right thing but how do you put an end to like the haunting question what could we have done more? Because she deserved it, right? Every dog deserves as much energy as you can give them yep. and, and to extend their life as long as possible. What, what's the right answer to all of this? Yeah, I don't know if there is a right answer. I think that's the hard part. You don't know exactly. There's no handbook. There's no manual that says, okay, when this happens, this happens, and this happens, you put them down. You just have to make that call. The quality of life, the dignity, you know, did she have dignity? Was she able to go outside and go to the bathroom on her own. And, you know, you got to ask yourself all those questions. It's tough. I did it. I, my sister looked at him and it's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? 
it's time. I know you love the guy. I was holding him up so he could go potty or whatever. Right. You know, at some point, you have to just make that decision. But it's brutal. I feel for you. I had to go through it. It's, it's as brutal as everyone says it is. And the days after? Do you Off. remember the days after having to put away dishes and food and all the medications we had to give her late in her life, yep. clean up the laundry room of all of her toys. We set a little pack, care package, all of her treats. I mean, you, yep. you, yeah, we luckily had two dogs at the time. Okay. So that sort of helped, I think, kind of ease yeah. the, the sadness. But no, I, I still have his spiked collar and his shit. I have the whole thing because it's, it's just hard to get rid of. And I had him cremated and I have his little ashes next to my bedstand and I see it every night. Yeah. It's we're, rough. We're going through the process of what are we doing with the ashes, right? Yep. Do we spread them somewhere where Sadie loved or where we go to visit or something of that nature? All these things are just, has made the last two or three days just horrendous. You know, she was 16 years old and everybody has memories of their dog and every dog was the greatest. Every person's dog. I don't mean to make Sadie out to be something more sure, yeah. than she was. But to but, you, she was. Well, I mean, I, I think back upon the fact that she was 16 years old. I have one son who's 14. Yeah. And I have another son who's 17. So neither son, the 17-year-old was one and a half, about to be two. He has no memory of life before Sadie. Yeah. And the other son was still 16 or 18 months away from being born when Sadie came. And what is amazing about these dogs, and I'm sure that others have similar experiences, is that when we brought Brett home, Sadie was with us for about a year and a half, two years. And we, we brought Brett home. It was as if he was her child. Something huh. really, really they connected strange. Somehow. Not they connected. She connected. When we brought that baby home, yeah. she became like the most fiercely. She became this eight pound Havanese became this like German shepherd. Would anybody would get near him? She would sleep. She would sleep in the little slider chair next to the crib. Oh, so cute. Yeah. And she would sit in his room when anybody came, even us, we come in to change him or pick him out of the crib. She would growl like she was super, wow. almost as if when we brought him back from the hospital, he was hers. And then from that point on, as much as, you know, the dog loved all of us, Max, me, my wife, there was something about her with Brett for the 14 years that they lived together. And there was a connection there. I can't I can't quite articulate or understand why she felt the way she did about this particular baby. Ma when we got her, Max was a baby. Max was less than 2 years old. Yeah. But this baby came after she was always already established That's in right. the household. Came to her territory in a way. It was it was just crazy. That's and why we love dogs. They're they're maternal and they're loyal and they're loving and that's why we love them. They're great. Somebody, somebody wrote, or a million people have written that, you know, having a dog or a pet, having a dog, they give you thousands and thousands of great days, and they give you one horrible day. Yeah. And it's more than one, because I'm finding that out over the last two or three days. And I just want to say to everybody who heard 78P, who took the time to write a tweet or a little note or a little email, I got a lot of them. I'm sure. Because so many people, I mean, just everybody has gone through this. Um, so nice. Everybody was so nice. And I thank everybody for that. As much pain as you've been in and that you're probably still in, would you say that having a dog is still worth it? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Right. I mean, it's still, yeah, they're I, so great. It's, I wish you'd it's ask so me that question it. in about six months. 
when we start making decisions on new dogs and are we going to have another one and yeah. whatever, whenever, a year, three weeks, I don't know how long that is. But I've asked myself that same question. The pain of these last three or four days has just been, I mean, I mean, you know, you come home and she's not there. Yep. Yep. She's not there. Not following you around. You, you get and, ready to go yeah. to sleep and your wife doesn't say to you, would you take out the dog? And you have to, oh, I got to take the dog <laughs> right, out. Yeah. I mean, how I would wish would some, somebody would say, yeah. would you take her out in the rain before you go to sleep? I mean, yeah. I, I dreaded that. I dreaded it's that. A pain in the ass at the time. Oh, but my you God. Do but now, to do it now. now it's, yeah. just, it's just the, the, the quiet. The quiet is kind of eerie. So I just wanted to say that, um, yeah. Dogs are worth it, though. They are. As, as, as much it's pain incredible. as you're in, they're, they're worth it. Yeah. Uh, it's, in, it's incredible. Anyway, let's move on to other things on 79. Uh, episode 79 before we get to the four interviews and the other stuff segment um i wanted to lead off with the 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 video that's gone viral about the guy in the airplane oh have you seen that has everybody seen that does everybody know what i'm talking about it's made made all the news i just saw your hand motion i know exactly what you're talking about so tell everybody what i'm talking about so uh, there's a guy who's in the back row of an airplane his seat doesn't recline back he's up against the wall is he in the back row? i didn't realize that that's part of the thing is that Uh, and he's tall he, I don't know if he's tall, but yeah. he can't recline. He's right by the bathroom. It's right. the worst seat on the plane. Yeah, you don't want to be Well, to I guess bathroom. middle would be better, but he's on the aisle. Yeah. And the woman in front of him reclined her seat. Yeah. He can't recline back, remember. Right. So the whole time, he just keeps hitting the back of her of her headrest, the back of her seat. And somebody and videoed this. She videoed it. She was like too afraid to turn around and tell him to stop. So she just held her phone up like in a selfie position and is yeah. videotaping this guy nonstop hitting her seat because she wouldn't put it back up. Which has brought up the conversation of what's, prop, what's proper etiquette when you, when you recline your chair. Yeah, there's, right? I mean, yes, you're right. Even, I, I even saw a clip of the Delta Airlines CEO being asked on it wasn't delta it was american airlines but the delta airlines ceo was on some other show talking business and they asked him and he actually said i think i think the courteous thing is for her to ask him before she reclines the seat and i when i heard that i was like okay i have never done that i have never have you ever asked the person behind you not once if it's okay to recline i just sprawl on back buddy here i go why should i ask if it's okay to aren't those seats supposed to recline isn't everybody supposed to recline for a reason yes yes i'm i'm in that camp of i'm i'm by the way nobody's rude but nobody's ever asked me that's right i've never been asked nobody's ever turned to me from from in front and say hey would you mind if i recline the delta ceo said yeah he says i I think i I think you should ask somebody behind you if you should recline her i've never once asked i hit that button and i fly back like steve martin and planes trains automobiles (laughs) when they're in the wagon just right on back buddy i love it this guy is just pounding her chair how long would that last if that was you if you're having your, I mean, how long would you let that guy do that before you turned around? Oh, it would be like 10 seconds. <laughs> 10 seconds, it'd be two seconds It would be me. when I realized that he was doing it. I mean, yeah. I, I would think at the first, like, oh, maybe his knee is hitting me or something's happening. I, I would never, I would, it maybe it would take me a, a while to actually figure out, this guy's doing that on purpose. Yeah. This guy's hitting my, my seat on purpose. I'd be so furious. The whole way he's just slowly hitting the back of your chair, I'd kill him. I'd kill him. Hey, I know we're recording this kind of around NBA All-Star Weekend. It'll probably yeah, be over. Yeah, yeah. Were you ever a huge fan of the NBA All-Star Game? Because I remember that was a big part of my, I couldn't have loved it anymore. Never but, was. Really? Because I never, as a kid, was never a fan of the NBA. 
but I have become a more oh, of a fan okay. of the All-Star Game because my kids love the All-Star Game. They love to do a pool. A year ago, the All-Star Game was Los Angeles. I took my kids. The, the Clippers and Lakers co-hosted it. So I took my kids. We had never been. I had never been to an NBA All-Star Game. We went to the whole thing. Uh-huh. Saturday night, three-point shootout oh, in Los Angeles at the uh, at the Staples Center. It was real fun. You enjoyed but no, it? Yeah, I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I mean, I, okay. I, it's a little tedious to me. But when I was a kid, no, I had never, I never even contemplated the NBA All Star Game because I never grew up in them. We didn't have NBA in Florida growing up. Yeah. I was not an NBA fan. I'm talking about like '89, '90, '91, like Jordan and Isaiah going a against bit, yeah. Stockton and Malone and Magic and slam dunk contest in Seattle oh, and all that. Yeah. I couldn't have yeah. let. And it always seemed to fall right around Tolo. You never, you know, like Sadie Hawkins. I guess maybe you. Yeah, call I know Sadie that. Hawkins when the girl asked the guy. That's right. And I would always be getting in ready in a tux at my friend's house watching the All Star game. I have great memories. I love seeing the best players in the come NBA on, nobody all come asked together. You. Come on, nobody asked you. <laughs> Who you know, asked one, you? By the way, one of my ex girlfriends in high school is yeah. a big wig at Microsoft. Huge name at Microsoft. Like, really? Yeah, I should have stuck with her. Maybe <laughs> she's loaded. She's really high up, and we've had coffee uh, before. Yeah. By the way, while you're on the All Star Game, two All Star, two thoughts, two random thoughts about the All Star Game weekend. I'm glad you brought it up. Did you see where everybody is? Everybody's excited because in the in the rookies versus second year, I, I don't know what they call that. The Friday night game. Yeah, I think that it they is. play it's World Against USA. But what, what, whatever yeah. it is, Zion Williamson. Everybody's saying he dunked so hard that he bent the rim. Okay, do I need to be the one to break the news to the world? Yeah, his dunk was not what bent the rim. It was him hanging on it and the fact that he's a little Zoftic right now. Zoftic. I love Zoftic, Zoftic yes. He's a little Zoftic right now. <laughs> yep, that's all Okay, w- when he slammed it, that's not what bent it. He then hung on the rim, and that's what bent it. I- and I love myself some Zion. He broke a record. Uh, he's he scored 20, 20 or more in six consecutive games. He's the youngest guy to ever do that. He had back-to-back 30s. Career I, high. I, I'm kind of amazed that he's been as good as he is because I still don't think he's back. He doesn't seem as electric and as quick and as – and is um, twitchy yep, I as he you. was at Duke, and yet yeah. he's still scoring 20 a game and 30 in certain games. I love him. I'm not making fun of him. But his dunk <laughs> did not bend the rim. His big weight hanging on the rim bent the rim. Okay, I, th- I thought it was the half-court shot that Luca shot. Oh, yeah. that it banked yeah. off. I mean, that so that's is- <laughs> my first thought on NBA All-Star Weekend. My second thought on NBA All-Star Weekend is the three-point shootout which is my favorite. I like it better than the dunk contest. It needs to change. They need to change the three-point. It's time to get up with the times and change the three-point shootout to make it more interesting. And what I would do is very simple. How many spots are there? One, two, three, four, five? Five spots? Five spots? The three, the the two wings and the top of the key, not the corners, the the two wings and the top of the key, take them and move them 15 feet further out because everybody now... Damian Lillard, Trey Young, they're all they're all shooting feet. Where are they shooting the threes from? Where, where is everybody shooting yeah, the threes from now? Five or six feet out. No, from it's the, more than five or six really? feet. All people right. are shooting from the logos. They, people have no conscience now. From the now. top they, of the logo. It, it is unbelievable how far out these guys are routinely just taking. Not okay. late shot clock. Just normal routine jump. They have been. They have become so good from 30, 35 feet. It's like a normal shot that. 
to me, to have the three-point shootout in three in five spots right on the line anymore doesn't make sense anymore. Move it back. Yeah, but guys aren't – they're not going perfect all the way around, right? They're still missing some. A couple here, a couple there. But the really great – if you want to determine who the great shooters are in this day and age of the NBA, yeah. let's have a couple of spots – where they shoot them from in the games now, where guys are just stepping up and just letting them. Steph Curry, he he hasn't shot a three-pointer on the line <laughs> in five years. He, he literally does not ever shoot any jump shots yeah. on the line. He shoots them from way behind. So let's move a few of those. So we can keep the, keep the corner, because you can't move the corners out. You'd yeah. be in the stands. Keep the corners where they are on the line, and then move those three other positions to, what, what, what is the shot? 20, I don't even know what it is. 28 or something. 28. Is it already 28 feet? No, it's not 28 feet. It's probably 25 feet, whatever it is. But move it, move it another five or seven or 10 feet back those three positions. That's the, my request. The first round could maybe be on the line, then progressively move it back further, and then for, like yeah. second, third round? I just like, I like a few when of the spots. It. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's yeah. let's go back to where Damian Lillard routinely shoots shots in NBA games. I'd anyway. say I agree with you, except for the fact that no one's going perfect all the way around. I mean, if they were just, if it was just stupid and everyone's hitting every shot, but they still miss, right? But I think the best shooter, if you want to identify who is the best outside shooter in the NBA, to truly identify that person, we need to have some shots that are 30 and 35 feet all away. Right, all right. Because that's the where they're shooting them these days. Anyway, go ahead. Chris Broussard, are you familiar with him? Chris ESPN guy or I think so. former ESPN guy? Yeah. I, I took one of his tweets I thought was really interesting. So yeah. he said that Zion is really exposing the flaws of today's hoopers. Curious what you think about this. It's all finesse and jump shooting. He's 6'6", and he's destroying people in the post. Defenders look like they've never seen post offense. What in the world would Shaq do to these boys? What do you think about that? Is Zion, I mean, is the game so different? Everything's finesse and jump shots that all you need is a guy like Zion who's big and bulky who can play the post to dominate. I don't know. I, I think I think it brings into play what what I what I talked about a lot when he was at Duke, and that is how many guys really want to play him in an 82 game schedule oh, on yeah. a random Tuesday night in game 47 of the year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You get an old veteran or a, a veteran of five or six years, big guy who has who 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 has Zion is his is his guy. He's got to cover Zion. Does he really want to play that? Does he really want to play that physical on that Tuesday? Yeah, maybe in the playoffs. Maybe when the games are, you know, matter more. Yeah. But I think what it brings up is who's got the intestinal fortitude that <laughs> wants to play that guy, that 300-pound monster. Tasmanian that, that devil, who man. Can, who can move as fast. And I mean, yeah. it, it takes a lot of effort. I just don't know that these guys over 82 games really need that on a day-to-day basis. So you're thinking he's getting some easier looks, some easier shots. Maybe people are backing away a little bit and just letting him have his dunk. Well, I'm not watching every game, so I yeah. don't really know exactly what's happening. But I do think he's a different he's a different species altogether to come in the league. Yeah. And you got to have you got to be, you know, you got to have some pride to go out there in Milwaukee or in, you know, in Atlanta, yeah. here comes here comes Zion Williamson all 300 pounds of him and I got him. He's my assignment. Okay, here we go. I mean, you, you got to be, you got to really have a dedication to what you do to, to play him for 40 minutes. Yeah. Who wants to be the guy to get dunked on, too, by the new, the new hot rookie? All right, I'll get out of the way. You can dunk. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> That'd probably be me. Astros Media Day. I know that we're going to do a segment on it. Yes. Astros uh, Media Day. Well, I, I, I call it Media Day. It was the day that everybody assembled, everybody assembled to talk to the Astros to see how, how much contrition, how apologetic. The Astros ownership, management, and players are. Yeah. And what have you 
What have you determined? Uh, it didn't help the hitters that much. You know? was, uh, <laughs> did you hear that part? <laughs> well, I heard him say it didn't impact the game. Yeah. And then somebody said, when you say it didn't impact the game, what do you mean by that? And he said, I didn't say that it didn't impact the game. Right. Did you? He said I, I, it didn't impact the game, and 30 seconds later claimed to have not said it. Yeah. So it was just... It was a circus. It was a complete circus. The players, some of the star players got up there and read prepared statements and didn't take questions. I mean, what was that? Well, you said, I want to hear from Justin Verlander. I did. And you did. Like, I it did. was weird. The next day, I did. he spoke. Well, you heard from everybody. All of them spoke. And yeah, I didn't what like did, what he said. Yeah, I mean, he didn't say anything. He said, I, I wish I had said more when I saw what was going on. And then he was asked, well, what did you say to your teammates? He said, that's between them and me. So yep. he really didn't say anything. He didn't say anything. No. And none of them seemed particularly apologetic. None of them, none of them used the word cheated. N- nothing like that. And the whole rest of the baseball world is up in arms. And we'll, we'll spend a segment with somebody who was there for the athletic that reported on that craziness. Yeah, I mean, Alex Bregman, one minute, no questions. Jose Altuve, 30 seconds, no questions. I mean, poor Dusty Baker on his first day on the job had to sit there. Yeah, most people are saying he seemed the most moved, the most sincere and he wasn't even there he last no year. He, he had no part of it. And, and he was the saddest of them all. Yeah. He was the one who was like apologizing more than the other guys. Yeah, what a mess. I have no idea. Yeah. So, Hotshot, have you ever been craving a Daniel's broiler meal, but circumstances prevented you from going to your favorite Daniel's or had friends over and wished you could serve them a Daniel's meal? Problem is solved. You can now enjoy the prime steaks and seafood offered by Daniel's in the comfort of your own home. I'm not kidding. Daniels now offers home delivery from all four Daniels through DoorDash. Daniels offering home delivery of their menu through DoorDash. Enjoy Daniels world-class prime steaks and their seafood in the comfort of your own home on any occasion. How about that? Daniels world-class 8-ounce USDA prime filet mignon or the grilled king salmon. Just two of your many choices. Enjoy Daniels world-class quality in the comfort of your own home through DoorDash. Locally owned by the Schwartz family, located at South Lake Union, Leshine Marina, Bellevue Place, and now the new downtown Hyatt Regency, Daniels Broiler world-class steakhouses. Unfiltered. Every time you see the number 14, you think about John Altabelli, and you remember the man that he was. I know that he's proud of our guys for being out here today, and we're going to do the best we can to honor him uh, in everything we do moving forward. You know, I'm not sure the morning will ever stop for the victims of January 26th and that helicopter tragedy in Southern California. We've all become too familiar with the names for all the wrong reasons. One of them was John Altabelli, a legendary 30-year junior college coach in Orange County, California. Alto, as they called him. I'm so grateful to be joined by one of the hundreds of Coach Alto's players. Ryan Evans joins us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. Ryan, my heartfelt condolences, and thanks for sharing your story with us here on the podcast. No worries. I, I appreciate you having me on. Also, was a he's a good man, and anytime I can tell people how good he was, I'm I'm happy to do so. I want you to pick up your story. It'll resonate with a lot of people. 2011, high school graduate, uh, cut from a junior college in Utah, baseball player, just looking to play baseball. And you're where Disneyland with your girlfriend? Yeah. So I I'm I'm cut from Salt Lake Community College. Um, 
you know, things didn't go as I, as I had hoped. And obviously there's no one to blame really, but myself. And, and one day in the summer, me and my, me and my sister and my girlfriend at the time, we, we took a trip to California. Um, while we're out there, I, I was just thinking of, of schools to play for someone had said, Hey, junior college baseball in California is the real deal. Um, so I get out there and I, I start calling, you know, junior colleges. I start calling all the ones in the orange empire conference, which is where OCC is. And, you know, some people said, Hey, we're not interested. Some people said, Hey, meet me tomorrow. And I called Alto cause I didn't have time. And he said, Hey, can you be at the field in an hour? Wow. Um, I'll, ha- I'll have a guy there. And I said, yeah, sure. Where were you, know? you? Where exactly were you that you had an hour to be at the field? I was sitting in the parking lot of Saddleback Community College. I was meeting the coach there at the time, and he told me he needed to reschedule. So I called OCC because I didn't have time to wait. And so I, I drove there. I meet assistant coach uh, Nick McDonald, uh, one of my favorite people ever, and, and, a, and a, one of my teammates, Josh Evans. He pulls out a, a glove from the – uh, the locker room and I start playing catch them. I step on the mound and on the fourth throw, the ball rips through the wet webbing. Not, not, not because I was throwing 99 miles an hour, but <laughs> it just happened to rip. <laughs> and, uh, Nick was like, Hey man, that's, that's good enough, man. You should, you definitely should join us this fall. <laughs> you didn't Jimmy rig the, uh, the mitt now just to, to be able to well, impress him now. You know, when I walked in, I, I loosened the screws a little bit. <laughs> And you met Alto at that point, or when did you meet Alto for the first time? Yeah, good question. So I, I went home and I told my mom, I said, hey, I, I've got to go. I've, I've got to move to California. I've got to do this. Um, we put, it was like a, a week later. It home was is where? Notice. Tell I, everybody where home was. American Fork, Utah. Okay. You go home and you tell your yeah. mom and you, and you load up a car and off you go, right? I put my twin mattress in the back of my truck uh, at the time. Yeah. I put a, a couple crates of clothes in the back. I don't have a single place to live. I drive out there. I tell my mom I do, but the whole time I'm driving 10 hours, I, I don't know where I'm going to go. So um, I, I get a hold of a, a good buddy of mine that went to my high school. It was on the football team. I said, hey, can I crash on your couch? I, I got nowhere to live. And he said, sure. But some nights the parking lot would be full and I wouldn't have anywhere to sleep. So I'd have to sleep in my truck while it rained on my mattress. And so it was, it was tough for a while. And then um, a few days later is when I met Alto for the first time. Why do you think he said, come over and give you a try? It's not like he's going to say that to every single person who calls him on the phone. You obviously told him your story. What was it that you think connected with him that he said, sure. What what the hey I'll set up a I'll set up a tryout with one of my coaches. Yeah, so I honestly I think Alto just in his nature, right? He he you you read the article about him 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 fixing lost souls. I, I told him I was cut from Solid Community College and I was looking for a place to play. Um, and he said, "Come out." That's why he said, "Meet me today," because I think he knows. He gave every he gave everybody a chance. I wasn't the only one. You know, there's story after story. I thought I was the only one. And I think that's what it was. And you met him for the first time and he had no idea that you would end up meaning much more he would end up meaning much more to you than a coach. Did he know your family story? He didn't. I you know, I, I kept it private. I, I, I don't want people to, to really feel bad for me. I mean he, he knew after a while when I he helped me, him and coach Nick McDonald helped me find a place with some of my teammates after a couple months. Um, 
you know, when he first met my mom, that's when he realized I, you know, I didn't really have a father around, not to necessarily go into too much detail, but I think even in high school, I just always viewed my coaches as someone that I looked up to a lot. And they, I don't think they know it. I don't think they realize it, you know, but that's exactly how I pictured also right from the beginning. Did he ever understand that? Did he ever come to grips with that? Did we ever have a, a heart-to-heart about it? No, but I think he realized, like I said, when he, when he met my mom, you know, the way Alto, what made him so special is there, there's so many of us players and we have so many different personalities. Um, and he had a way to relate with us all, right? He, he would be stern with me. He would joke with me. He'd have different personalities that he couldn't be stern with. Um, and I think once he met and, and knew I didn't have a father around, that's where he really, that's where we had the conversation where he said he was going to make sure I, I got to a Division One program. Tell that story. He felt like it was a personal uh, responsibility of his, despite the 700 wins and all the state titles in the 27 years, he kind of embraced the stepping stone element to his program that, you know, it's our, it's our awesome responsibility to see that these guys get to where they want to be. And he succeeded in a lot of those efforts, right? Especially with you. Absolutely. Um, I, Mitch, I, I didn't think I was going to make the team. I thought I was going to get cut. You know, I was around some studs. We had a great team that year. I was cut from my previous team. I didn't even pitch in high school. Um, so I, did I think I was going to make Alto's team? No, but I, I was willing to give it a shot. And when I, when I first met him, you know, he would, he would tell jokes to me. He would say, Evs, you know, he'd call me Rhino. And then one day he says, Rhino, come, come catch, uh, Fungo for me. And he's hitting Fungo. Yeah. And he's like, where do you want to play next year? And I'm like, Alto, I'm trying to pitch for you. What do you mean? Where do I want to play next year? And, you know, he, he's like, Evs, come on. Where do you want to play next year? I'll, I'll make sure you're going Division One. And then he, he brings a list of schools to me. Hey, I'm talking to these guys. I'm talking to these guys. I'm talking to these guys. I'm like, Coach, I think you got the wrong guy. Are you, are you telling lies to these people? <laughs> I'm like, I, am I going to pitch for you on, on Friday or, or what? You know, and – from that moment on, I knew this guy had my back, and he's not going to lie to he's not going to lie to teams. You know, I didn't have the confidence in myself, and he he gave me that confidence, and makes it makes me emotional to talk about. But um, that's just the kind of guy he was. You know, you have a lot of coaches. You know, they have their three guys. You know, maybe a junior college, it's like, hey, one of my guys might be looked at by USC or Oregon, and they focus all their efforts to make sure they have that top recruit. Also had that. You know, we had five or six guys drafted that year. We had a bunch of guys go to E1. We had guys that didn't see the field that Alto was making calls for to make sure wow. they played at a school next wow. year. Why do you think? What made him so special? What, why, did he think, why do you think he had this incredible trait that you're talking about? He had a genuine care for us. Like, you know, we went, when I just went to his memorial service for, for him, Alyssa, and Kay, you just saw, you know, thousands of people there right at, at angel stadium he made all of us feel that way and it was genuine right whether you played baseball for him whether you were a student whether you're a an umpire that he he cussed out you still felt also loved you and he cared about you it was a genuine care he we all felt like we were his sons you know i it, it was personal to me and i thought i was the only one that had that experience 
until this tragic accident happened. And then I realized I wasn't, I wasn't the only one. You didn't realize that your peers, that your teammates, that he was treating all of them the very same way. There's probably very similar stories amongst your team and, and all the other teams that he coached. Absolutely. We went to dinner the, the weekend of the memorial. I went to dinner a couple days before, and, I, and two of my teammates said the same thing. Um, one of my teammates, he, he didn't have any money to go to the school. He didn't have money for a glove. None of us knew. He, you know, he, didn't, he didn't tout it. He didn't say anything. And then my teammates, like, you know, also made sure I had a, you know, he, he pulled together to make sure I had, you know, a brand new glove. You know, I, I had another teammate that we had no idea was struggling with addiction. And he helped that person out behind the scenes. You know, something that you might see coaches be like, I don't want to deal with this. You know, I'm, I'm going to cut this guy. No, Alto said, I'm going to help this guy. That kid got a scholarship the next year. He's playing independent professional baseball the year after that. It was, yeah. it was Alto, he would probably be mad that we are talking about him right now and we're not talking about his, his players. And we're not talking about Alyssa and we're not talking about Carrie and JJ and Lexi. Because he would be, that's all he cared about, was his boys and his family. Ryan, you know, as I listen to your story, and I listen to your your thoughts on some of the others and all these other different things and his responsibilities, different things that he cared about, maybe you've answered my next question. Because as somebody who didn't know who he was until I heard his name for the first time, tragically on that Sunday, and then I started reading up on him, and I see 27 years, 700 wins, one of the most accomplished guys in junior college history, all the state titles. You know, the first thing a guy like me from Seattle, Washington thinks is, well, why did he stay there all those years? There's got to be, but there must have been, you know, major league systems that wanted him for minor. I mean, there's probably a million type of jobs that he could have transitioned into, and yet he stayed there all these years, and I I didn't quite get that. And maybe the answer is... Mitch, Ryan, because this what this was like his call. This was his life's call. And he realized that he was touching these guys like you way much more than a uh, than a baseball coach. You're, you're exactly right. You know, when you get to a junior college in baseball, you have, you know, maybe kids that didn't get drafted for as much money as they wanted, right? And they want another the shot. But you know what else you get? Kids that, that didn't get the best grades kids that weren't looked at by division ones also in my in my opinion and many others could have coached for any division one in the country i the fact that he wasn't was only because i think personally and he cared about us we were just like jeff passan in his espn article said we were lost souls we were lost souls he collected us and he, he saved our lives i i have friends before this happened i talk about occ probably too much. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I have a lot of pride in, in this small junior college and I think it changed my life. It got me a scholarship. It paid for school when I couldn't afford it. And it was, it was all because of Alto. You know what I mean? And, and I think that's what he cares most about. Ryan, do you ever think about what would have happened to you? Where would you end up going? What would have been the case with you had he not on that telephone call set up a a tryout? Would somebody else have given you a tryout? Would you have made some other team? Would you have? Uh, would your baseball career have been over right then and there, and never got the chance to play that fabulous year, and then go on to a Division One school? What would have happened to you? I think about it all the time. What if? What if? 
that junior college I was at when I called Alto, when that guy stood me up, what if he showed up? I was going to go to whoever showed up. And, you know, the good Lord blessed me with, with Alto being that person. I, I'm lucky. I, I'm very lucky. And there's, it's, it's, it's pretty heartbreaking that, that people weren't lucky enough to meet him. They weren't lucky enough to spend the year that I spent there. And that's, that's what's pretty heartbreaking. How will that school go on? Without it, I think you have so many people carrying the legacy. I think I I I don't want to speak for anyone else. I think Alto, he he lives in so many people. You know his his family, and we're very fortunate. He's a, he's a part of us, and we'll we'll carry that legacy. But there's there's only one Alto. There's I've only ever met one Alto. Um, I think you know with the the new school. I think everyone needs to to remember. All the altoisms. If you're if you're not 15 minutes early, you're late. Yep. You know. Yep. You know, don't be a wussy. You know, things like that. Um, I I just think you can't try to be alto, but you can remember how he wanted us all to practice, how he all wanted us to play, and how he all wanted us to live. And that's the best thing you can do is honor him, and that's how they carry on. Well, you're on. You're honoring him by sharing with us all the people that didn't get a chance to know him or understand him. All these great stories. I'll finish up with you, Ryan. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell tell us about your life now. W- what are you doing? I'm sure it's life after baseball. Tell us what you're up to, and and how you carry around John Altabelli, Alto, your former coach. Yeah, right now, uh, I I was fortunate to go to Utah Valley University. After that, uh, the, which is where I met my wife. She played on the soccer team. Um, so there's a lot I attribute back to that year. Um, I got my first job working for a software company in sales because of going to Utah Valley and my connection there. So I work for a software startup software company now here in Utah. Um, I'm an account executive there. And me and my wife, we, we live in uh, just south of Salt Lake City, Utah. So there's how I, how I carry that on, man. It's, it's a tough question. It's, it really sucks that something like this has to happen for you to, to reconsider. And I think we all are hugging our wives a little tighter, yeah. telling our family we love them a little bit more frequently. That's what Alto did. As much as he cared about us, he, he put his family first. He made us feel like family, and he treated every day like it was his last, and I think that's what we have to all do. All my very best, Ryan, to you and your family and to the entire to the entire junior college family that was all touched by Alto. I sh- sure wish that over my years of broadcasting, somehow, some way, I would have crossed paths with him and been able to share some time with him in an interview situation or something like that. I am saddened to not have experienced what you have experienced. Thank you for joining us on the podcast and sharing some of your memories and uh, continued strength to you, Ryan, and your family. Thanks, Mitch. I appreciate it. As we continue to mourn those nine victims in the helicopter crash, we also celebrate their lives. Ryan Evans right there emotional when talking about the baseball coach who gave him a chance and was also the father that he really never had, Alto, John Altabelli. More and more Northwest people are calling Jordan Flowers in the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage when a hotshot buddies took the time to make the call. So stop procrastinating and continuing to pay more each month on your mortgage. The Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage will do a deal that keeps you right where you are now in your loan. No starting the 30-year period over but get you a refinance, getting you out of the mortgage insurance, which is costly, and also pull some money out to do those home improvements that you've always wanted to do. There's only one thing that you can't be doing, and that's just sitting there, unwilling to, at the very least, 
Make a 10-minute phone call to find out your options. There are three of the nation's top 1% brokers in the Kirkland office alone of Guild Mortgage. Here's your phone number, 425-250-3150. Again, 425-250-3150. Just take seven minutes. Call Jordan and say, can you reduce my monthly mortgage? Can you do something for us? The worst thing that can happen is after 10 minutes or so, you find out you can't do better than you're doing now. The flip side is you pay less each month with a refinance of your home from Guild Mortgage and the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Give them a call, 425-250-3150, the Kirkland office of Guild Mortgage. Unfiltered. What do you have to say to the Yankees and teams that you beat in 17? Listen, the, the Yankees have had a few comments out there. Um, you know, our opinion is, uh, you know, that this didn't impact the game. Um, we had a good team. We won the World Series. It's hard to determine how it impacted the game, if it impacted the game, and that's where we're going to leave it. As Episode 79 continues, many are describing this past week in West Palm Beach, Florida, at the Astros Spring Training Home, as close to a circus without clowns as possible, Brittany Giroli, baseball writer for The Athletic, joins us courtesy Fireside Home Solutions. Begin your quest for a new sleek, energy-efficient fireplace at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Uh, Brittany, thanks for being with us. In your estimation, the world has spoken. How badly did the Astros botch that first day? No one around baseball seems satisfied. Yeah, I don't think it could have gone any worse. Uh, to be honest, with you, it could have been better if they didn't do anything. Uh, there was no remorse from anyone involved, uh, certainly not owner Jim Crane, who said at one point that he didn't believe any of this impacted the game. He didn't believe that sign stealing and knowing what pitch was coming impacted the game, uh, to which point a reporter followed up with, well, then why are we here if you, you don't feel like it impacted the game? And Crane said simply, we're here because we broke the rules. You know, never have they really admitted a whole lot of remorse. Sean Doolittle, Nationals reliever, kind of said it best yesterday. He said, there's a difference between being sorry for what you did and being sorry you got caught. And it certainly feels like the latter with this Astros group. You know, you're not seeing uh, a whole lot of guys really accept uh, responsibility for the, the ripple effect this has had around the game and this has had around baseball. I mean, this is not just about a World Series trophy. Uh, this is about the lives of players. This is about the lives of, of coaching staffs, of, of teams, of organizations. Uh, this is about life-changing uh, World Series bonus money for a strength and conditioning coach on the Dodgers who makes $50,000 you know, annual salary. I mean, this is a big deal to clubhouse guys and scouts, and this has a huge ripple effect, and the Astros are just collectively shrugging their shoulders and saying, oh, well, let's move on. Mm. Well, baseball's not ready to move on. I saw Bregman and Altuve come up and read prepared statements for like 45 seconds and not take any questions, Brittany. How, how orchestrated – and rehearsed, did it feel being there? Yeah, I mean, you probably got a sense of it just from watching it on TV. I mean, it felt like they had that meeting the night before. They sat around, came up with about five talking points, and they never strayed from them. Um, it didn't feel like a real apology. You know, it felt like something that was forced. As you said, they read off those statements. I think in total, those two guys spoke for about a minute 40. So it was very brief. Uh, you never feel like you got enough. They didn't answer any questions until later on in the clubhouse when it did get a little bit better uh, with some other players talking. Uh, but the whole thing, you, you watched it and you were like, what PR team thought this was a good idea? I mean, who thought this was going to 
satisfy the masses, if anything, it made it worse. Yeah. I mean, I've had players say to me, you know, I wasn't that angry about it until I watched that press conference, and wow. now I'm really angry. Wow. And, you know, part of the reason people hated the Astros all these years was they acted like they were above everything. Now they get caught cheating, and they're still acting like they're above this and that somehow, you know, they were wronged in all of this. And it's truly unbelievable. Who, who showed, of all the Astros players and management, that you spent some time or that the media spent some time with? Who showed the most contrition? Who was the most apologetic of the bunch? I think Carlos Correa was. But then, of course, he makes headlines in The Athletic by, you know, saying, you know, kind of going on about Cody Bellinger and saying, you know, that, you know, what Bellinger said yesterday, the very pointed comments about how Altuve shouldn't have been MVP, uh, about how the Astros stole a ring. Uh, You know, Aaron Judge got screwed over by Altuve winning. Uh, very pointed comments by the reigning NL MVP, uh, Carlos Correa fired back. And, you know, it, to me, it's really just a time for the Astros to be quiet now, to take whatever, you know, whatever is being spewed from other clubhouses and sit back and say, we deserve this. And, you know, Correa did earn a lot of points for how he handled that situation. Uh, he was really good in the clubhouse, really remorseful. He's been the only guy who has come out and said, yes, we were trying to cheat. Yes, we gained an edge. Uh, which is pretty pathetic when you think about it. But uh, certainly he stands out among that group. Uh, You know, you would hope that some of these guys kind of realize at some point, like, hey, this isn't getting any better. I may as well own it. You know, uh, Mm -hmm. certainly everyone else kind of falls into that category of just acting like it didn't happen, acting like they really didn't do anything wrong, pointing the finger at other teams. Um, You know, it's just absolutely been a mess down here uh, where the Astros are concerned. And, you know, who really gets screwed to are the Nationals, who PS won the World Series and, and nobody seems to care uh, because of the scandal that's going on across the uh, spring complex that the two of the teams share. Yeah. Brittany Giroli is with us from The Athletic, courtesy of Fireside Home Solutions. I was anxious to hear from Verlander of all the guys on the Astros you know these are his brethren these other pitchers around the league that were cheated by the Astros hitters I was not satisfied with Verlander's remarks he said I wish I said more and then somebody asked what well what did you say to your teammates and he would not disclose that what was your takeaway from Verlander's remarks yeah and I thought he would have been a little he's one of the few guys in the game who kind of speaks his mind and I was also disappointed with that I thought he could have really used that as a platform to own the moment, you know, say, you know, I wasn't directly one of the cheaters, but I benefited from it and it was wrong, you know, and I'm ashamed of how I behaved. And, you know, I, I plan on this never happening again under my watch, but really you didn't get any of that. But quite honestly with Verlander, it seems like when it benefits him, it's a different story. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is a guy who was very outspoken about domestic violence comes to Houston is teammates with, with Robert Asuna, and all of a sudden you don't hear a peep about it. So um, I think when you have something like this, this kind of conflict, you start to see what people are really made of. You start to see what these players' character and their integrity uh, and their makeup really is. And I think it's jarring uh, what's gone on in Houston uh, for a lot, of, a lot of this. And you kept hearing for years around baseball, um, it was a very insular culture, a very secretive culture. You know, nobody liked the Houston Astros. And you're starting to see why. And beyond the players, I'm struggling to figure out why the whole front office hasn't been cleaned out. I mean, if James Click, their new GM, is tasked with changing the clubhouse culture, uh, what good can it be for some of these low-level employees to go to these meetings and see yeah. these high-level yeah. guys still there? Yeah. Uh, everyone but Lundhau is still in place somehow, 
And to me, that's just, it's outrageous. It shows that there's really no remorse. They really are trying to do the bare minimum to make this all go away. And nobody seems to understand that it doesn't go away like that. It, it can't go away if you sweep it under the rug. You've got to own this moment. You've got to really start over and show some remorse. And until then, I don't think that this is going to be an issue that, that goes away. I don't think it's going to be something that we're going to stop talking about. I mean, we still don't know the ramifications of the Boston Red Sox. So uh, there's a lot of people to blame for this, certainly. Uh, MLB, the Astros, uh, how this whole thing has been handled um, as a whole. But I think that the players speaking out has really helped drive this issue forward and continue yeah. to keep this scandal uh, on the forefront of what's going on. Brittany, is the whole electronic buzzer thing and Altuve not letting his teammates too close after that game-winning hit, is that all gone away? Will it go away? And where do you stand on that? I mean, the, I don't think it'll go away because you keep hearing Bellinger talked about it last night. Um, you know, out in, in uh, Arizona, Dodgers reporters out there. So um, I don't think it's going to ever go away. There's just too much smoke and too many allegations. I believe Chris Bryant on the Cubs also mentioned the buzzers today to reporters in his camp. So um, you've got guys that for the first time in a long time and maybe ever, these baseball players are saying exactly what they think. Um, and it's a force to be reckoned with. So I've watched the video. I have suspicions. You know, I've read Carlos Correa, who did explain it today in The Athletic a little bit more about what went on, a while too they wanted to keep his shirt on. Uh, I think that you're never really going to know, right? There's no proof. MLB couldn't find any proof. Uh, the only people that know are the people that were directly involved. And, you know, I, I hate to sit here and say, he, you know, he cheated or he was wearing a buzzer, but there is just so many allegations from so many different teams and different organizations. And, you know, I heard today that, you know, that the year they played Cleveland and Crush Kluber and Bauer and all those guys, they had a, you know, a, a member of the organization in Indians gear with a, a hidden camera. I mean, where does it end? Wow. Uh, I wow. think that's the real issue wow. here is it's not just the trash cans. Um, it's just all of the dirty laundry has come all out at once. And um, I guess that's a long-winded way of me saying that, you know, I just don't know. I yeah. don't know what to believe anymore. It yeah. wouldn't surprise me if the buzzers thing was correct. And it wouldn't surprise me if there were, they were cheating again this year because the Nationals certainly thought they were, and they prepared like they were. Do we expect other players, other teams, to try to get even on the playing field? Should we expect they, uh, some plunking? Yeah. Should players, we expect some plunking yeah. involved? Yeah, Players have already said it on, on, on Twitter, and I've seen it. You know, None of the Nationals have said it. I haven't heard any of it directly. But, um, you know, you, you take a good scroll through Twitter or, or – you know, through some of these other teams, what's going on in other camps, and guys have already pretty much said they're going to get theirs. And, you know, I don't know what the league can do to stop that. You know, how can the league prove intent? Um, so it is a mess. It's a mess that Rob Manfred helped create um, by trying to sweep this thing under the rug, by saying it was only player-driven, and then Jim Crane blaming Lenhow and Hinch and the whole thing kind of going in circles. So now it's in the players' hands. They feel like they need to take care of it. And now you've got a situation where guys might really get hurt. Brittany Giroli, you can follow her on Twitter very easily. She's a terrific, a terrific athletic uh, baseball writer. It's at Britt Giroli. Now i got to spell that. B-R-I-T-T <laughs> underscore G-H-I-R-O-L-I. Britt Giroli. And you can read her if you are, if you are a subscriber like I am. To the athletic. Britt, thank you very, very much for joining us. Enjoy my hometown of West Palm Beach and try to get away from that Astro story for a, a little while. <laughs> I will do my best. I may hit you up for some restaurant recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> 
Great to hear from Brittany Giroli of The Athletic on the continuing circus around the Houston Astros. Will it ever end? You know by now that Evergreen Golf Call is a premier wealth manager in the Northwest because you listen to Mitch Unfiltered. Tyler Hay leads that team headquartered here in Bellevue, south to Portland, San Francisco, the Napa Valley too, growing money in a responsible manner for decades. Now Adam Hay has got Evervestment.com, which is an online vehicle for people like you and me to get the same expertise as Evergreen's high wealth clients. I'd also like to recommend that you go to Evergreen's website, evergreengolfcall.com and click on the new client inquiries. This will take you to the prospective client compatibility survey. No commitment. Just take three minutes to answer 17 questions so that this premier wealth manager can understand the type of investor you might be and get a feel for your fit. In other words, Evergreen wants to listen as opposed to saying, here's what we're going to do. Evergreen Golf Call deeply cares about its Northwest roots, whether it's the Boys and Girls Club or this podcast, Mitch Unfiltered, the title sponsor of our March Madness Pool and our major championship challenge for all expense paid trips doled out in 2019 by Evergreen, including that bucket list golfing trip to Pebble Beach. Check them out, evervestment.com or evergreengolfcall.com, a premier wealth manager in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the XFL! This is the ball game. Cornelius. Towards the end zone. Intercepted. Game over. Kyle Carroll finishes it off. As the XFL concludes its second weekend, questions still linger over its long-term chances to succeed financially. And joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline, is Patrick Rich, Dr. Patrick Rich, Washington University Business School professor and Forbes magazine contributor. He joins us courtesy of Fireside Home Solutions, the best place to begin your search for a brand new, sleek, and energy-efficient fireplace, firesidehomesolutions.com. Pat, thanks for being with us. In your Forbes piece, you applied kind of key factors that determine the outcome for startup businesses to the new football league Share some of them with us, and is it as simple as that, or is a professional sports league exceptional in some way, shape, or form? Well, thanks for having me on, and, and really, when you look at the list from Forbes that I wrote a few weeks ago, I think the top four is you have to have proven leadership, solid financial backing, visibility and exposure, and then be innovative, which creates product differentiation. And I think if you look at those four criteria, the XFL is 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 hitting the mark the leadership with oliver luck is is tremendous oliver uh, is someone who's been a friend to our program has come to our university and spoke but aside from that this is a guy who was a head honcho with the ncaa he ran the athletic department at west virginia he was a leader with the houston dynamo mls team years ago and also was involved with nfl europe this, this is someone that knows how to lead obviously solid financial backing, a half billion dollars from Vince McMahon. That's certainly going to carry them through the first several years of the league. 
the visibility and exposure. This league has games on ESPN, Fox, and that's the kind of exposure that is, is something that most startup sports leagues don't see. And then lastly, I know from speaking to Oliver and speaking to some other people that have been involved with the creation of this league, that they spent hours and weeks and months talking about some of the innovations that we're seeing on the field with the kickoffs, with the extra points and all these various features. And of course, the broadcast and innovations that we're seeing with the with the interviews on the sidelines, hearing the coaches calls. So you throw those four things together. This is a great start for the XFL. You said a half a billion dollars from Vince McMahon. You kind of stumbled a little bit when you or paused a little bit when you said several years. I think those were your words. Is it true? Is, is a half a billion good for several years? I think their plan is at least for three years, this should get them started. And then from there, it's a question of whether they can build up the interest, not only in ticket sales, but of course, can the media deals that they have with these networks, can they grow? Can they build some corporate partnerships? So that's going to be the thing that's going to keep them going forever, because obviously McMahon cannot uh, you know, a wealthy guy, but he can't endlessly spend money, right. uh, you know, 10 years into the future. So this is enough to get things started and give it a chance. Just like any business, you need a couple of years to try to ramp up and build your customer base. And now it's a question of will they, after year four, year five, be able to sustain? And what will be the biggest metric that we should follow that will kind of lead us to the answer? I'm assuming you're going to say television ratings more than gate than the amount of people that attend these games or no well i i think they both matter uh you know we've already seen early in the season uh that the ratings uh were were favorable and comparable to for instance you know top level nhl and nba games that were going on simultaneously i think that's fairly impressive we're seeing some attendances from the first weekend of the season that were in the 17s and uh you know let's see what happens going down the road give it time the power of social media, I think, is going to be a real deciding force here, and I'll explain. 20 years ago, we didn't have social media. In the preliminary feedback on this league is that we like what we're seeing in terms of the quality of the product on the field. We know it's not NFL football, but we also realize that these guys are, are playing pretty well for, for the circumstances, and we like the way it's being broadcast. And I think these are things that are being put out there on social media. And as it gets repeated and repeated and repeated, this builds interest. This, yeah. this builds corporate partnership interest and yeah. fan interest. Uh, I think that's where we're going. Patrick, uh, you're so kind to be with us. When I hear you talk about this league and why this XFL has a bigger and better chance than maybe the other the other leagues that – that came about opposite of the National Football League. I find myself skeptical probably because I remember the USFL. And the one thing that the USFL seemed to have that none of these other leagues since that have all folded had, which was name recognition. They had Herschel Walker. They had Anthony Carter. They had Bobby A. Bear. They had some pretty big names who decided to play in the USFL, and yet it still failed over time. Now, maybe you'll talk about social media. Have you ever looked into that from a business standpoint, Patrick, and and, tr and tried to assess 
why the USFL couldn't work and why would this be different than the USFL? Especially as we're beginning the uh, kicking off the very, what's likely to be a very political next six to eight months. Uh, there was a wonderful 30 for 30 piece that ESPN did, uh, uh, why, the ex- or why the USFL failed. And they're very strongly suggest in that piece that it was Donald Trump's decision as the owner of the New York, uh, I think New Jersey generals to move, try to move the season from the spring to the fall. And that was at the beginning of the third season. The third season never happened because of that attempt. So I, I would say that that would be the major caveat to that argument there. The counter argument would be, you know, the USFL, though they had the name recognition, as you suggest, which, uh, you know, certainly was was valuable. You just couldn't go up against the NFL. What I like about the timing of this league, and and there's been absolutely no indication from Vince McMahon, Oliver Luck, Jeffrey Pollock, any of the team presidents, that they have any thought any time in the near future to go to the fall. This is a spring league, and the timing is beautiful. You're catching it at a time where you're you're riding the wave of the NFL playoffs, but you're getting it done before the basketball and the hockey playoffs really take off. Uh, it's kind of a natural progression to the uh, NFL draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's going to be a day where maybe fairly soon where some junior in college, rather than play his junior year in college, he may play in the XFL yeah. uh, if, if he doesn't want to, uh, if he wants to focus full time on, uh, you know, enhancing his craft. Yeah. So there's, there's several things that could happen down the road. The other thing that I think is the scalability factor, some of these alliance of American football teams, the league that failed last spring. Yep. I think that if the XFL had these markets available to them, they would have gone after markets like Orlando and San Antonio because you don't have NFL in those markets, yet those are football-hungry markets. Do, don't be surprised if in the next three years they may replace some of these larger markets that may fizzle. Yeah, and, and that's what I was going to ask you next. What do you think is going to happen here in the Pacific Northwest in Seattle? I know in your piece you thought – Mid-sized markets. Mid-sized markets is the key for what you just explained. Less competition for the entertainment dollar. You you think that some of these current XFL cities are going to fail and they'll turn to those other cities that you were talking about? Well, I, I think that markets like St. Louis and Seattle, in my view, have the greatest likelihood to succeed. Uh, in St. Louis's case, we don't have an NFL team. We don't have to go through that whole history but we don't have an NFL team, and yet there are several people in this market, several you know, tens of thousands of people based on the uh, projected ticket sales that are certainly interested in football. Um, and I think in Seattle, I know the Seattle market well enough to know that they strongly support their NFL team. They strongly support their Major League Soccer team. And this falls at a time of year up there. The hockey isn't there yet, but this falls at a time of year up there where I think that you've got a lot of sports fans up there that would like to be able to support something. And so these are all variables that, to me, give me the belief that Seattle, St. Louis will be, uh, you know, great markets. And even though I think that some of the larger markets may struggle, I worry about Los Angeles. The leadership there is excellent. Uh, I met the team president. She used to be affiliated with the Los Angeles Football Club, which is a shining success story in Major League Soccer. I just worry about the location of their stadium, which is not conveniently close to the central part of Los Angeles. But, you know, the one thing that we have to think about is this product is affordable relative to almost any other professional sport. 
I mean, the National Football League, the average ticket price these days is over $100. And you could take a family of four to an XFL game for $100. So there's a lot of people in the community that that's going to appeal to. But that was the case with all of these leagues. It was always affordable to the family of four. All these leagues, whether it was the American League of Football or the last XFL or all all of these different examples that didn't that didn't pan out, it was always very uh, relatively inexpensive to go to these games, wasn't it? So what I would, so the counter argument I would, I would say to that, if we again focus on the Alliance of American Football League from, from last spring, was they didn't have the same financial backing. Right. They didn't have the same innovative creativity. They did a few things, but not on the scale that we're talking about with the XFL. Yep. Um, so I, I just think that they, they rushed it because they knew that they were, their only shot was to beat the XFL to market, and unfortunately, that proved to be a disastrous decision. Before you go, we're, we're listening to the voice of Dr. Patrick Risch, who is a Washington University Business School professor, the business of sports. He also writes for Forbes magazine from time to time. I really enjoyed an additional piece, your recent work on Kobe Bryant's legacy in China and how he and his team, when I say team, I mean representatives, Nike, Etc. Shrewdly cultivated an unparalleled American player relationship with that nation's basketball fans at kind of the perfect time, even more than Michael Jordan, because Jordan came along earlier. It coincided with David Stern and everything else. Talk to that a little bit for our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, again, you know, Michael basically saw the end of his career in the late '90s. Kobe was was obviously coming uh, slowly into his own at that point. Of course, won three championships in a row in 2001 and 2002. At the same time that 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 was happening, David Stern, the former commissioner, started to re-engage the Chinese marketplace. And also, Yao Ming was now a part of the NBA. So all of these variables began to build this relationship between, again, the United States and China. We know that relationship's a little rocky right now, but that's beside the point. The point is, that Kobe was the first American basketball player to step through that door and really embrace the Chinese market. And gosh, um, you know, look, you look at these videos of Kobe five years, 10 years after that initial introduction to the Chinese market, and he's just beloved. Uh, they treat him like an idol. So it, it really, he really, set the table for all these other guys. Yeah. I mean, look at all the players now that have these shoe deals uh, in, in China, whether it's Dwayne Wade, Clay Thompson, Gordon Hayward, Rajon Rondo, Kevin Kevon Looney, uh, Evan Turner, you name it, the list goes on, on, on. And I would say that Kobe was the first to really open up that marketplace for professional basketball players. Patrick, Patrick how does the recent tension between the NBA and China over the Daryl Morey controversy before the season started. It impacts today's stars, the players that are trying to capitalize on the groundwork paved by Bryant back in the day. Well, that's a great question. Um, To my knowledge, the deals that were in place with these various shoe companies that the players that I just mentioned, I don't believe that those, uh, you know, could be canceled. I'd love to see the contracts. Uh, But in terms of going forward, you know, it makes sense that part of the reason why these guys all had deals was because the sport of basketball is so popular in China. But if if this tension doesn't thaw and you're not airing NBA games in China, that's going to slowly diminish right. uh, the interest uh, in these athletes. 
And there's probably going to be some political pressure internally in China from the Chinese government to some of these companies to work with uh, NBA stars. So uh, there's no doubt that it could have a negative impact if the relationship does not thaw. Brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions, FiresideHomeSolutions.com. That's the voice of Patrick Rich, Dr. Patrick Rich, Washington University Business School professor. And you can read some of his work on, on Forbes or in Forbes magazine. Thank you, Patrick. It's great to visit with you. I hope I can call upon you again someday for Mitch Unfiltered. Absolutely, Mitch. Thank you so much. Will the XFL buck the odds and survive, or will it go the way of so many other football leagues? I say no, but Dr. Patrick Rich... Washington University, St. Louis, Forbes magazine thinks it's got a hell of a chance. Yeah, I know the football season is over and it's sad, but that doesn't mean there aren't great opportunities to watch sports and enjoy great Zeke's pizza, whether at home with delivery straight to your door from Zeke's, not a third party, or in one of their 17 great spots, college hoops, the NBA, whatever you like. Everything's better with some signature Northwest pizza and a craft beer, and you'll be supporting one of the driving forces behind this podcast and the owner of the Zeke's Pizza Hotline. That's important, by the way. Dan Black and the boys have been great to me from back in the radio days to present. It's easy to root for companies like Zeke's Pizza who give second chances. So the next time that you're ready for some great pizza and beer, craft beer, make it Zeke's, Download the app or visit Zeke'sPizza.com. Zeke's Pizza, we love it. Homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. Offensive performance ignited by the dunks of Obi Toppin. Santos Silva can't even buy a basket. He got a little too far under the hoop. Toppin. And a one-handed slam. Episode 79 continues with our buddy Jeff Goodman. It's brought to you by Fireside Home Solutions, talking college basketball. We're getting closer and closer, Jeff. I guess we're inside of a month till Selection Sunday. And with as crazy as the college basketball season has been, and we're all kind of giggling about it the last many months, it, it, it seems like it's clearing up kind of at the top, unless there's a lot of losses here in the next few weeks. It feels like that Baylor, Gonzaga... Kansas and and San Diego State are the ones right now, and Duke, Dayton, Florida State, and Maryland are the twos. Is it as clear to you as it is to me, or am I am I mistaken somehow? Yeah, no, I, I think the top four teams have been the, the top four teams for a while now. Remember, early in the year, we were like, all right, it's a new team every single week, and uh, and really, there's a little bit of a gap now. I think between the top four, and at least what they've accomplished. Uh, and everybody else, and and you can kind of put them in whatever order you want. I, I would say, to me, there's no question for my liking that Baylor deserves uh, to be the number one team in the country. After that, Kansas, Gonzaga, San Diego State, to each of their own. Um, and, and I think the twos are, are fairly solidified, but uh, not quite as much as, as the ones. I asked you about San Diego State a couple of weeks ago when you were on whatever it was, episode 77. Let, yeah. me, let me ask you about Dayton this time around because you don't see Dayton. I mean, we see them in the tournament from time to time, but you don't see them this lofty. They've got one of the, the player of the year candidates. I think you saw them over the weekend. I think you saw yeah. them in person over the weekend. How good is Dayton and how good is Toppin, OB Toppin? So, yeah, they played at UMass. It was the first of, of three games I saw on uh, Saturday with my daughter. And uh, Toppin was good, not great. Uh, he went up against a good big guy from UMass named Trey Mitchell, a freshman. 
But I think that's the beauty of a state and team is, is they can win with Obi Toppin having a C game because they've got a really, really good point guard in, in Jalen Crutcher. And he kind of took over in the second half. So uh, this Dayton team is more than just Obi Toppin. They have uh, they have him a good big. They have a really good point guard in Crutcher, and they have a really good coach in Anthony Grant. And those are you and I have talked about this. That's kind of my formula for being able to go deep in the NCAA tournament to have those three uh, things, and, and and they have them. You know, it's interesting that when you're talking about San Diego State and Dayton, boy, they picked great years. To have great teams, right? I mean, this, yeah, this is yeah. this is the perfect year for San Diego State or a Dayton to have great teams because they're not just good in their own regard. They're catching everybody else on a down year. Would you say that Dayton – I mean, if I told you that on the first Monday in April, Dayton was playing for the national championship, would that be the, the craziest thought a month ago before Su- Selection Sunday? No, no, and I, I want to say yes, but, but you can't. You just can't because you look around the country, and like you said, there's just no teams that stick out that are like, oh, my God, if Dayton played Duke, yeah, you know, normally we'd say they have yeah. no shot, no right? Shot, or Dayton right. plays Baylor. Yeah. But, but, you know, they're all similar. They're all similar. You know, Dayton has a top, probably a top five pick on their team in, in OB Toppin. Yeah. Baylor might not have a, a first-round pick on their roster. Duke probably doesn't have a lottery pick on its roster. So, um, yeah, I, I just think this thing is as wide open as it's ever been. We've said that from the kind of start, and uh, and it continues to kind of uh, evolve that way. Right. I saw something on ESPN, Jeff. Jeff Goodman is our guest, courtesy of Fireside Home Solutions at firesidehomesolutions.com. I saw a graphic on ESPN where they assigned percentages, the chances of a team making the NCAA tournament. And I don't know, the Big the Big Ten has 14 teams now, and I think I saw where their graphic stated 12 of the 14 teams have a 60% chance of making the field or greater. 12 of 14, only the two. I think Nebraska and Northwestern are there at the bottom. Now, obviously, it's not going to play out that way. I mean, I don't think. I don't think we're going to see on Selection Sunday 12 Big Ten teams. But, boy, does that speak – does that speak to how great the Big Ten is, or does that speak to what we're talking about just a moment ago, how mediocre everybody else is? Yeah, it's a combination of the two. It, it's definitely a combination of the two. The Big, the Big Ten isn't great, uh, but what it is is deep. And, and same thing with the Big East. I mean, I, the last game I saw last night was, was Providence um, beat Seton Hall. And, and the Big East has some of that, that depth, too. And I think those two teams, because of that depth and because of what they did in November and December, and that's the key here for conferences. If you do enough in November and December, um, all these wins that you get are quality wins, and the losses aren't bad losses like they are in the Pac-12 right, right now, right. Um, like they are in, in, in the SEC, right. like they even are in the ACC this year. Yeah. I mean, the ACC – only has three three teams that are locked in. I think Virginia is pretty darn close, but um, they've only got three teams that are locked in right now. So when Louisville loses to Georgia Tech uh, and Clemson back-to-back, it, it looks really bad for them. Right. I had it on my notes to ask you about this a couple of weeks ago. The player of the year race in college basketball, it strikes me that 
you know, it's a it's a weird race in that the, 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 the world may not know these names. Normally, there's a North Carolina player, there's a Duke yeah. player, yeah. there's a Michigan State player who's kind of crammed down our throats the entire co- college basketball season or a couple of Duke players. And we know we know the candidates, the prime candidates with a month to go in the regular season. Give us those candidates and and explain who they are. You saw two of them over the weekend that aren't household names. And I think they may be, you know, one and two, and and, and I think Luca Garz is three. So Obi Toppin, we talked about, is definitely uh, in the equation right now. But but he plays at Dayton. He's not on TV all the time, not in ESPN. Um, you know, he's on CBS Sports Network a lot, so he doesn't get the same exposure. Uh, number two is Miles Powell, who I saw last night, uh, late night, Seton Hall, probably the most electric scorer. Um, along with Marquette's Marcus Howard in the country. They both play on Fox every day. Mm -hmm. So they're not on ESPN either. The guy who is on ESPN, the guy who's probably got more hype than anybody because he's been on ESPN all the time, is Iowa big man Luka Garza. I think those are the four right now uh, that are fighting for uh, National Player of the Year. Will those guys be in the NBA All-Star game someday, or are those guys just great college players, Jeff? Yeah, and probably good pieces in in the NBA. And I'm not even sure Miles Powell and and Marcus Howard, there's got to be the right spot for them, right? I mean, they're both undersized, really, two guards. Um, You know, guards is probably not an NBA player. I think Obi Toppin's the one guy that you would say, hey, he's going to be drafted in the top five. Um, I think the other guys, if they're drafted, are all second-round picks. Mm-hmm. A year ago right now, everybody was talking about Zion Williamson at Duke. There was the shoe incident. He had missed some time. He was clearly going to be not only the number one pick in the upcoming draft, but he was going to be kind of uh, a revelation. He has played, you know, I don't know, eight or ten games, and his numbers are outstanding. And yet when I watch him play, I know that you focus on college ball, but you watch the NBA too. When I watch Zion play... Jeff, I don't see the suddenness yet. Maybe it's because he's still coming back from injury. Maybe it's because he's a couple of pounds heavier than he was a year ago. There's some explosiveness or first step or suddenness that's missing from what I remember at Duke last year. And yet, and maybe that speaks to his incredible abilities, and yet he's still doing things that are unheard of for a young guy. He's still 20.6 games in a row, 30 points, two games in a row. Do you agree with me? Do you still think that there's a a little something missing from where where he was in his speed and quickness a year ago at Duke? Well, the only thing I'd say to that is he missed the first 45 games of the year, right? So he's still shaking some of that rust off, and we, we treat him as such a physical specimen. Um, that we want to see it all the time. And I think we've seen it in spurts, but not as consistently as we saw it at Duke. And you're right. I mean, I, I think the other part is they're trying to teach him how to run differently, right? Not to be a guy who just maybe uh, takes every chance because they're talking to him about longevity. They don't want him hurt this year or next year. They want him in New Orleans for you know, 10, 12, 15 years if they can, or certainly in the NBA. So I, I think those things play into why you might not be seeing as much consistent uh, af- athletic dominance as, as he showed last year. When you look at what happened in Bloomington, Indiana last week, I know you've been covering college basketball for a long time. Bobby Knight returns to Assembly Hall. 
they go crazy in Bloomington, but his return to the national limelight, at least for a day, kind of provokes a lot of complicated feelings around the country about Bobby Knight. How does Jeff Goodman feel? What do you feel for Bobby Knight, both the coach and the person? I actually feel good for him. He's 79. Um, he certainly got some health issues, as we could see. Did he make some mistakes? Yeah, I, I have Pat Knight, his son, on my podcast. And, and he said that. He goes, listen, was my dad flawed? Absolutely. Did he do some bad things? Absolutely. Uh, but he did more good things than bad things. And, and he was an old school coach. When being an old school coach was accepted for the most part, did he go over the line a little bit here and there? Yeah, he probably did. Uh, but again, he didn't cheat. And, and and that's one of the things you can certainly say about Bob Knight with pretty much conviction that, that he did it clean. And, uh, and again, I just feel like when you see somebody's mortality like that, and you see they're 79 and he's not intimidating anymore. I mean, I, that was one of the few guys that people in the media were just intimidated. I remember going out to Texas Tech, what was it, 10 years ago or so now when he was breaking the, the record for all-time wins. And, uh, and even I, who – to be honest, I, I, I had interviewed Magic Johnson, Michael Jordan, all these guys when I was 16, 17 yeah. years old. Yeah. Even I was like a little bit hesitant to ask Bob Knight a question in the <laughs> post game because you just didn't know if you were going to get your head ripped off. <laughs> and, uh, and so seeing Bobby Knight that way was a little bit difficult for, for, for me just because, again, my dad's 77. Yeah. He's 79. I'm seeing how quickly he's fallen off. Uh, health-wise a little bit, and, and you just feel for him and his family. And I thought it was cool, though, that that it was able to be done for, for Indiana basketball, the fans, the former players, his former players, who, as I've said before, were kind of afraid to go to a game because they, were, they, they almost felt like they were crossing the picket line if they went to a game. Now they feel like, okay, coach went, we can go to a game now. We can go. We don't have to worry about the backlash or, 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 or doing something that we feel bad about. Uh, so I, I think that part was cool, too. Where does he rank? Is he the best coach you ever saw, best X's and O's coach in college basketball you ever saw, Jeff? Yeah, probably. Probably because he didn't always have the best talent. He didn't always have it. Like, you know, Coach K is obviously right there as well. Um, I, you know, Izzo is great. But, yeah, I, I think Bob Knight's got to be, you know, up there in the top three for sure. See him on Stadium Sports, follow him on Twitter, and of course he'll make uh, regular appearances, maybe a little bit more and more as we get closer to Selection Sunday here on Mitch Unfiltered. Great to visit with you. Enjoy college basketball the next week or two, and we'll catch up with you not too long from now. Thank you, Jeff. Sounds good, Mitch. Have a good one, man. Jeff Goodman, Stadium Sports. We are inside of a month till Selection Sunday, and then the greatest spectacle in sports, the NCAA basketball tournament with football season over and college basketball season midstream a gigantic thank you to john's fireside home solutions team for partnering up with me mitch unfiltered during the football season what a great privilege and pleasure it was to be connected with such a fabulous company which has been at the forefront of the fireplace barbecue setups and garage doors all these years Peter King and Brady Henderson, Rick Neuweisel and Jason Lockenfora, all those voices that brought expertise 
expertise and information and downright fun to this show. All not possible without Fireside Home Solutions. Every time I drive into my neighborhood, I see a Fireside Home Solutions van sitting in a driveway, which is more and more a big smile comes to my face. Whether it's a a new energy efficient fireplace this winter, a new set of garage doors, or even a high-end barbecue setup, the first call you should make, Fireside Home Solutions, they'll come sit down with you and figure out a solution which is best for you and your family, or you could just dial them up at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. They are terrific. Fireside Home Solutions. Unfiltered. Episode 79 as we continue with episode Hotshot Scott after he saved... He came to the rescue. That's right. Saved a seven-year-old boy. Little James in Redmond. James in Redmond. He's sleeping with his parents in home uh, under to his you, roof tonight. If it weren't for you. That's right. Okay, it wasn't really funny. <laughs> <laughs> but I did at least console little James because he was really not. I mean, you're, you've been a parent of two boys. You know, there's a there's distinct kinds of cries, and that cry yeah, reeked oh, of I can't imagine. find my parents. And I, he was yeah, I yeah, can imagine not good. All right, other stuff segment. You want to lead off? So I feel like this Miles Garrett story is going to kind of turn okay. into Antonio Brown, where we're just going to have to talk about it every day. It's Miles not going Garrett. Away. Uh, suspended indefinitely after he swung the helmet at the at the quarterback he says that there was a racial slur that prompted him to do what he did the Steelers and the quarterback say that's ridiculous it's a hundred a thousand percent false he was suspended indefinitely and then he was reinstated just recently this week this past week he was reinstated so it turns out that the suspension is six games and he's eligible to play so what do you want to say about my thought was that hey you're back in the league be happy, move it along. But now he's doubling down, doing another interview, accusing Mason Rudolph of using a racial slur. But Mason right. Rudolph then tweeted, that's 1,000% false, bold-faced lie. I did not, have not, and would not ever utter a racial slur. This is disgusting and a reckless attempt to assassinate my character. So he's – and Mike Tomlin – now, that this is kind of where it gets tricky because Mike Tomlin's African-American. Right. He's defending Mason Rudolph. But he doesn't know. Well, I, I find the whole Mike Tomlin involvement a little bit cumbersome okay. because, because he wasn't on the field. Really, only a couple of people know, or maybe more than a couple of people. Certainly, Mike Tomlin's not one of them. Okay, but Mike Tomlin did say he had a lot of conversations with the Browns organization, with players, oh. coaches, oh. and not once did that But why come would up. Miles Garrett – Miles Garrett, by the way, I think is a pretty smart guy. Well, yeah, I, I said I liked him. I mean, he seems he like a seems, pretty intelligent dude. He seems dude. like yeah. a very intelligent guy. Yeah. The question is, after being reinstated, I guess maybe to save face, after being reinstated, why would he continue to perpetuate this if he doesn't really believe 100% that he heard the quarterback say what he claims that he said? I, I think Miles Garrett doesn't realize that we're, we're, we all will just go, well, he lost his temper. It's football. It happens. That's, that's my attitude. People fight all the time. He lost his temper. He swung a helmet. He shouldn't have done it, but we, we've all moved on, Miles. You should move on, too. You don't have to justify yeah, yeah. your actions. You're not the yeah. first guy to lose but your you're, temper but on you're, a football but field. But you're coming at this as if he's making this up. Well, I think he is. I think he's trying to justify well, his actions. how do actions. we know? Maybe we he, don't know. Maybe the, Steeler, maybe the guy said what he said he said. If but, you're Mason Rudolph, and you're, you're good, of all the places to say that, you're going to say it on an NFL field, maybe his he, own players would have kicked he, his ass. As you say, he got... He got rolled up in the heat of passion as well and did something and said something that he shouldn't have said. I don't know. I don't know what was said, but I have a hard time believing. I guess I'm giving Miles Garrett the benefit of the doubt here. I have a hard time believing that he's going over and over and over and over again saying that this quarterback said, use the N-word or whatever, 
if if he's just making it up? Is it possible that somebody did and it wasn't the quarterback? And That's he heard possible. It, that both yeah, yeah. of them are kind of. I don't know. I don't. I have no idea. It just feels like it just won't end. But I will say this: Who's yeah. ready for the Steelers versus Browns on the first game of the year? I cannot wait. I want to ask you about this. Talk about racially insensitive. Did you see the story about the Cincinnati soccer coach? Cincinnati FC, I think it is. I don't yes. know. I don't know much about the MLS. He's the MLS head coach of the Cincinnati team. He's from the Netherlands originally yep so english is his second or third language he's the coach he has stepped aside essentially he has resigned for the time being or or he's on indefinite leave while he's being investigated for using racially insensitive words in the locker room around his players now you need to know more there's more to the story the players were playing a song a rap song and he was singing the lyrics along with the rap song. The coach was. And in the rap song lyrics, which I think is the issue, that's the story for me. Because I've been saying this for years, that it doesn't make it right. Just because African-American artists you know, are, are, are singing racially, inc- incredibly racially insensitive words, it doesn't make it right. It doesn't give them the, you know, it's just... What am I, what it's, am I saying? It's, it's not a green light for everyone else to go ahead and use that normalizing word. These words, normalizing these words is not right and is going to lead us down a path just like... So this guy, in his second or third language, the coach of the team, is singing along with the lyrics. Up comes a word that he shouldn't be saying. He sings it along. And boom, he's being investigated for being racially insensitive. And he may lose his job over this. What do you think? First of all, which... What rap song does he know the lyrics to in 2020? This guy's like 55 years old, right? He knows the rap song <laughs> lyrics of the song that they play, o- that, that his players okay. play over and over and uh, over okay. again in the locker room. When I read that, it didn't like. That's how he knows the rap. That's how he knows the lyrics. And I go back to what you just said. This is why using inappropriate racially insensitive words, whether you're black, white, yellow, green, or red, Putting that in music and say it's it's going to lead to problems. I don't care whether you're Snoop Dogg or anybody else. I mean, if you're going to include these lyrics and then guys are going to get in trouble because they're not black and they're singing the lyrics that you provided for them, then I mean, I, I don't I, I don't know what the answer is. Don't put these words in the lyrics. This Why do we have to put objectionable language? I know I'm, I'm sounding like an 80 year old guy. Get off my lawn. I get it. Yeah. Okay, that's what I'm sounding like. But why, why are we putting? Why are we standing up? And I, I guess it's because creative license. You're going to tell me creative license yes. and all these things. All right, then if it's creative license, what's wrong with a guy singing the song? He shouldn't sing the song, right? It's a tough one. Now, yes, he probably should not sing the one song. One way or the other, he shouldn't sing the song. So sing it's okay it. to put the the song together. I mean, songs are written and produced so that we can sing along to them on some level, right? Isn't that part of the whole thing? I don't know. It, it, That's a tough one. But this sounds like his players don't really like him. Who turned him in? Yeah, I this don't sounds know. like a bigger issue than that. I don't know. I, I mean, don't know. I've been in some locker rooms. I've heard some some tough language, and I've heard all the rap songs. And and who do, he, they must not like their coach. What player is turning turning them in? Turning maybe him there's in? more to the story than I know. Yeah, I, I'm just I'm just speaking. I, I'm just giving you my opinion of. The little that I know of the story, which is which is rap song 
in decent language in the rap song, players playing the rap song, coach who's not black, reciting the words along with the rap song, and now perhaps out of a job because he's beca- he's being called racially insensitive for using those words. There, there's something that doesn't... I, I'm having trouble getting my arms yeah. around all of that. No, That's I'm all I'm saying. You. Yeah, it doesn't, something doesn't sound right. If you were karaokeing a rap song, which I can't picture you You get doing, to those... Oh, I could do that. You could carry... I asked you before if there's one rap song you know Oh, all you mean a rap to. song? No, I probably wouldn't karaoke. <laughs> okay. But, and, and that word came up, and you're in public at karaoke. Would you just skip over that word, or would you go along with it? You personally. I know what I would do. Well, I would skip, I would skip over it. Yeah, I would skip over it, too. Yeah. But, okay, so maybe okay. that answers our questions. If well, you... Well, if you and are I you both from the Netherlands, are you from the Netherlands where the English is your second or third language? Maybe it'd be different. What if you were rapping a song in Spanish and you don't really know Spanish and you're and you just have heard the song a million yeah. times and you just maybe you don't even know what you're saying? Is it possible that you're reciting lyrics to a song in a language that you don't even know that are, is? A, is it possible? I mean, maybe not likely. Yeah. Maybe is it possible? Anyway, I thought I'd bring it up. Well, who who would have thought that we'd have two soccer stories? On the other stuff. <laughs> Did you see that the UEFA came down hard on no. Manchester City? No. I mean, they, this is pretty big. So they're banning them from the Champions League and the Europa League for the next two seasons and fining them 30 million euros for breaking FIFA's financial fair play rules. Oh and now God. you're going to explain to me what the financial no. fair play no, rules are. No, I'm not. <laughs> All right, well, you know what you're talking about. It was you're created in a different language, these, for God's sake. For those that care, these regulations were created in 2009 in order to prevent teams from spending more money than they earn. Gotcha. You got it? Gotcha. All right, so now the ban opens the door for the Premier League's fifth-place team to qualify for the UCL. It's a whole thing. Man City, I, I mean, you know, that's a huge team, and they're banned from the Champions League and the Europa League. So that's what you get, cheaters. I wish, I, I, I wish them all the best. <laughs> okay, it sounds like you do. I really do. Your old producer. I'm going to lose sleep over, over – is it Manchester United or Manchester City? It says it Manchester Zim? City. I don't, I don't know, know what that is. I, I don't know I don't what it is. But that's a big deal in that soccer world. On 78P – my turn now? Sure, yeah. 78P, you inform me of a story. Are you going to update the story or are you going to let me update the story? On 78P on Thursday, you told me you were laughing and giggling. <laughs> yes, I was. About a Major League Baseball player or somebody trying to make a Major League team at spring training on the day before reporting to spring training being arrested in uh, Dunedin, Florida. It was Pinella County. Okay. Yeah. Pinella. <laughs> Does anyone know what Pinella even sounds like anymore? Right. And his name was what? Is I, what I I don't have it in front of me. You don't. I no. think it's I think it's Reese McGuire. Okay, okay. That's well. I think that's what you told me his name was. Okay, um, I'm always right, so go with that. He's a local boy. I think somebody tweeted me that. Yes, he's a local Kentwood High School. Oh, geez, Kentwood High School. Now, do you want to know what he was doing to get himself arrested? I'd like to explain it to you, and I want to hear you, Mr. Liberal, tell me whether you're offended more or less. Like when you. When you brought it up, it was you kind of presented a, a story of a guy, you know, streaking, you know, taking off his clothes in public. Right? Yeah, it, it wasn't really clear because it didn't indecent say that, exposure. Yeah, decent exposure, but there didn't say that a woman was arrested or anything. It didn't say no, no. So it was unclear. No, it at almost, the time. but but you know, for a guy that of my age, when you say indecent exposure, the first thing I think of is a flasher, a guy in a trench coat. That says, ah, <laughs> right. That's, that's with what the brown I, socks. That's what I think. White <laughs> right, so brown socks. <laughs> That's right. Hey, kids. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, It turns out that the reason this Kentwood High School. Making Kent proud again. Kentwood High School product was arrested. He was, let me say it this way, pleasing himself in a parked car at a mall while watching something on his phone. And then a police police officer came up to the window and literally, I'm not, I don't mean this figuratively, literally caught him with. 
Caught him with his pants down. His yes. pants down. And in he his was car. He, and he and, oh, and he was in his car and he was arrested. Now, I just want I, I just want to know your view on this. Is that is that worse? The same? Better than guy with the brown socks opening up his <laughs> trench coat in the middle of a park? Oh well, if you're gonna put it in that to that context, yeah. I think it's better than the guy in the park doing it to kids. Yes. Yes, I would say it's better, but I didn't say to kids. I well, wasn't well, who else is kids. in a park? I mean, it's always kids, okay. right? Okay, I didn't mean it that way. Okay, okay, but you know, I mean, yeah. women don't want to see it either. Right. It doesn't just mean kids are outraged. Does this change your view when you read this to me on seventy eight P? Does the fact that he's from Kentwood High School or the fact that I've now given you the details of what he was doing change anything in your mind? That's well, all I'm asking, gonna, and then you can go on to the next topic. It's going to sound a little it's elitist, but it sounds it's Kent in a nutshell right there to me. <laughs> Thank you, Kent, for sticking your nose into this story. What are you trying to no, do? I Lose me all my no, listeners I, from Kent? <laughs> I once said on the I've air that... I've got nine listeners to begin with. Three of them are from Kent. Right. I'm down to six, for God's sake. I sakes. love Kent. French Field. I, I don't know what else is there. Mel Tucker left Colorado for Michigan State. Yeah, there's this, a big stink about this. Big because, stink. Yeah, he did some sort of tweeting about how he was thrilled to coming back. He's not taking the job. He's coming back. 14 and then, like, months he was the coach at Colorado. 14 months. Oh, was he the head coach of Colorado? I thought so, yeah. Okay. And now he's the head coach at Michigan State. Yeah. And I, we talked about Drew Pearson earlier, I cut kind of randomly. Do you see Drew Pearson's tweet? No. Drew Pearson is not too much happy about this. He says, Mel Tucker is a con man. He recruited my grandson to go to CU, told me he wasn't going anywhere, then ups and leaves. Well, I, Mel Tucker is not the – if he was the head coach of, of UC – He's not the first guy after 14 months of a head coaching job to get up and leave. Didn't the guy at Oregon do the same thing after one year and go to Florida State? Uh, yeah, I think Willie so. Willie Taggart? Did, I mean, this happens all the time. All right, well, well, what, what am take I, it up with Drew. What do you want from me? No, what's the story here? <laughs> I thought that the story was that literally hours or a day before he took the job, he said on Twitter – Thanks to the people at Michigan State for considering me. I'm thrilled at Colorado. I'm not going to Michigan State. I'm thrilled to be here. And then he turned around and took the job. It was kind of like the Sarkeesian thing on my radio show. Do you know right. that story? Yeah, sort of. Go Sarkeesian ahead. on the Monday morning. He was doing Monday shows with me every Monday during the f- football season. And right when the football season ended, whenever that was, he was on. And I said, hey, there's rumors that you're you're talking to USC or that you're about to take the job at USC. And he said, no, I'm not. I'm not. I don't know where they've come from. I'm not interested. It, 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 I'm not taking that job. And literally 90 minutes later, he was announced the head coach of USC. Jeez. I thought that that's what you, where you were going on the, on the Mel Tucker story. Well, I just know people were outraged and 14 months isn't very long, but I guess you're telling me it happens more often than not. The guys go for one year and then bail. I don't know. People seem outraged. I just love that Drew Pearson, of all the people, is saying, I want to destroy him and beat him up on social well, media. Is he a Colorado Buffalo? Is Drew well, Pearson? He, he said he, that What's Mel, Drew Pearson's really? Oh, because his of grandson. Yeah, he recruited, yeah. his by the grandson. way, his grandson. Thanks, I know. thanks for making me feel old. <laughs> when I heard that, yeah. oh, here's a question. Do you think Rick Neuheisel has any interest in becoming a head coach again, our pal Rick? At the University of Colorado? Well, he had one stint there, right? Or is it Colorado University? Is it CU or UC? I'm sure it's I'm sure it's. CU. I think it's CU. Yeah, CU. Yeah, I think it's CU. So, do you think, A, do you think Rick would ever go back? He would love to coach again, I think. Really? One more time at at the right job. But I don't know why. Are they... Do they want him back? Do they want him back? I haven't heard anything about it. I just know he was once there, and I know yeah. that he's in he the broadcast booth. Yeah. 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 Now, what if, what if he offered you a job, and your only thing you have to do is you're his timeout guy? You just get in his ear when you say you have to take a timeout. You know how you're obsessed with timeouts? Yeah, I want to call plays, too. Okay, well, that's not that's not part of the the JD. Is how say. much are we talking about? Can I continue to do the podcast while I do the timeout job? Sure, you can you can bring the gear down to Colorado for six months. Yeah, I do it. 
I'd be his timeout guy. Hundred grand a year? Would you do it? <laughs> yeah. Really? Just to be the timeout guy? Why not? Okay. Well, you have to live in Colorado for six months, though. But I'm going to call season. the timeouts when they need to be called. That's right. And he's going to listen to you. Because you're going to, during your job in. interview, you're going to convince him I'm you're the to- best ever. I'm totally in. <laughs> okay. Get him on the Let's phone. Let's make it happen. Email, dear Mitch, fan of yours, but not a fan of the interview with the pilot, Mr. Johnson. Matt Johnson. You remember that yes, interview a couple, of, couple episodes ago? The minute the interview with Mr. Johnson, Matt Johnson, started with he had never even flown a Sikorsky S-76, I felt like some standards, your standards, Mitch, were diminished. I had no issue with the topic, and I understand his skills, training, and experience make him an expert on helicopters. Having said that, for this topic and to be the subject of an interview heard by your listeners used to your standards, you should have looked for an individual whose experience was even remotely on point, remotely on point, either as pilot of the aircraft or as a crash scene investigator or held off altogether. It was like asking an NBA referee to comment on an NFL pass interference. Being a professional referee, generally, I refed NBA basketball, but have never refed an NFL game, but here's what I think. It would not suffice for you, Mitch. Take a mulligan, sign Chris Burton. That's a really horrible analogy, by the way. I'm glad somebody else feels that way. Now, if the guy you interviewed was a ferry boat captain... All right, now his analogy well, works. Let's, for, the people who, for the people who did not hear the interview, which is shame on you, why haven't you? Yeah. Go back. It's an it's a interesting interview. A pilot from, I inv- invited a pilot, a, like a 25-year pilot, helicopter pilot from Cincinnati named Matt Johnson on to talk about what he thinks happened based on his knowledge of helicopters, his knowledge of the Kobe Bryant situation, what, what he speculates may have happened up there. And to kind of fill us in, educate us on equipment and so forth and yep. so on. I thought it was very enlightening. I know that it may have rubbed people the, be- the wrong way. But I, yes, I remember at the very beginning him saying, I've never, I've never flown a Sikorsky 7, S-76. Sikorsky makes a whole different right. bunch of different models. They've cornered he, the market on he, helicopters. And he said, I've flown many of them. Right. I just haven't flown the S-76. And to compare, as you say, a 25-year helicopter pilot and examiner somebody who is certified for the by the faa to go around and and examine other pilots to say that's the same as somebody from a different profession altogether issuing an opinion i think that's totally i thought this email was totally unfair yep totally unfair and i bring it up because i want to know that whether you feel the same way and you you, i'm not asking you to agree with me if you say if you think i would love to not agree with you typically (laughs) that's what i live for is the crap on all your points but no of course i i i thought we learned a lot from that uh, matt johnson i thought he was just i thought he was very respectful i thought he was very gentle i thought he said over and over again remember now i'm just telling you from my from my experience, I, I don't know details about that particular helicopter that went down. I don't know exactly what was on that, but I putting all the things together, here's what I think happened. Yeah. And I thought he was very, very kind of emotional and understanding of the situation and being very gentle with his opinion, but giving us his opinion. And I, I found no objection, and I thought that this email was out of bounds. I think it's unfair. Chris Burton, I feel like it's out of bounds. Yeah, it's unfair. I would agree with you. Okay. Yep. Yep. That's it? Well, I think people need to know that Emilio Estevez is returning to the Mighty Ducks reboot. I know you can't sleep without knowing I that. I never saw now, the first one. We, well, there's been like more than I one. I never saw any of them. <laughs> you remember Emilio Estevez was like a of huge course, part of, of our course. lives? Wasn't he in Elmo's Fire? St. Elmo's Fire? <laughs> no, he was not on Sesame Elmo's Street. Fire. <laughs>
<laughs> it's fun to talk like Penelope. Wasn't he one of the Breakfast Club? Breakfast people, Club, St. Yeah. Elmo's Fire. Wasn't he yeah. Molly oh, yeah. Ringwald, that whole crew? Yes, he was. Judd Nelson. Yes. Am, I, am I making names? No, Judd Nelson was in Breakfast Club. Emilio nice Estevez job. is is the son of uh, is the brother of Charlie uh, Sheen. Yeah, she's he's Martin Sheen's son. Martin Sheen's I'm son. I'm not sure how he became Estevez, but he's well, think, or is that the real name and Sheen's the fake name? I think Sheen's the fake name, and I also think Emilio didn't want to live under his dad's shadow. You could probably get Emilio on sometime. Now that would be fun. I bet you could oh. do it because he just lives in Cincinnati. He like makes independent films, and anyway, he's going back to the big screen in the Mighty Ducks hockey. If you oh. love those movies, he's coming back for the reboot. So there you go. Now everybody can sleep. There you go. Episode seventy nine. By the way, seventy nine P is going to be a little different. Seventy nine P on Thursday is going to be a little different. It's not going to be the typical show because you're inviting a very special guest from both of our path. <laughs> you almost got that out. Yes, yeah, from path. both of our pasts, right? <laughs> you are correct. All right, do you want episode Jacob Green or do you want episode Hotshot Scott for your heroics <sighs> at the uh, the Issaquah ten year old basketball? Although Jacob Green and I are similarly accomplished on the football field, I feel like I should give it to him. The fans really want it. Jacob Green, big part of my childhood. I love him. Episode Jacob Green is in the books.